please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to Matthew's Gospel and turning to Matthew chapter 6. We have been looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer as it's found here in Matthew chapter 6 in recent weeks. And this evening we're coming to verse 12. But we'll be beginning our reading back in verse 5 of chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 at verse 5. And you'll find this on page 800. And 11 in the church Bibles. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. From a young age, uh, we are taught the importance of forgiving one another. Uh, two kids can be playing at the park, and one kid uh, pushes another kid. One kid takes a, uh, a toy from their sibling, and already wrongs are being committed. And uh, from a young age, we are taught of all kinds of situations where we need to forgive one another. And oftentimes when we ask, why should we forgive? Uh, the reasons are many. When we start to slow down and say, why should I forgive? Why shouldn't I just hold on to the pain? Why shouldn't I just want to get even with everyone who wrongs me in this world? When we start to unpack why we should forgive, we could think for personal reasons why it is advantageous. Someone might explain that it's good for us to forgive because it releases us from that toxic uh, um, attitude that can really eat away at us. Uh, we've probably heard someone say that when we hold a grudge against another person, it's like drinking poison and wanting it to bring pain on another individual. That holding a grudge hurts ourselves. And so sometimes people will say, you ought to forgive because it's a way of actually helping yourself, of, of allowing it to be released and to, to move on, really. And there's truth to that, that when we forgive another person, uh, it does not only release the other individual, but it also benefits us personally. Another person might say that we should forgive other people because of the relational component. When I forgive someone the wrongs that they have committed, it allows me to look beyond my own hurt. It allows me to look beyond my own pain. 
It allows me to have compassion on another individual, to be more empathetic, to take pity on other people. And so sometimes people will say forgiveness is something good because it, it allows you to grow, it allows you to become a bigger person. You're able to live beyond the orbit of self and to remember other people as well. That too is a valid point and something to consider when we think about forgiveness. But we can know those things. It doesn't make it easy to simply forgive. When someone has wronged us, when someone has wronged you, when someone has said something about your character that isn't true, when someone has taken advantage of you, when someone has been unfaithful to you, forgiving someone is not easy. And so we can explain all the, the personal reasons, we can think of the relational reasons for why we should forgive. But this evening, as we're turning back to the Lord's Prayer, we want to be able to see that forgiveness is something not only that is important, but we want to see how Jesus describes the motivation for forgiveness as well. And this evening, we want to see that uh, because forgiveness is found in Christ, those who have come to Christ are to extend that forgiveness to others as well. We want to think about verse 12 in just two thoughts. We want to think about the debt, and then secondly, about the discernment. Well, first, we want to think about the debts that are being mentioned here. You'll notice that Jesus uses uh, unusual or striking language in verse 12 there. He says, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Just as the word sounds, the word for debt is ordinarily a word that was used for financial debt. It was used for obligations that were to be paid. It is referring to things uh, of a relationship between two parties uh, where there is an obligation to render unto the other party something that is due to them. Uh, an employer is due to give wages for the work that has been given to them. An employee is due to work for the wages that they are going to be paid. And so uh, this language is language that we're still familiar with, uh, familiar with in our world today. If you have a credit card, uh, a credit card is a piece of plastic, but that piece of plastic represents an arrangement between an individual and the credit card company. You can walk around if you have a credit card and you can purchase a whole bunch of things with the tap of that uh, piece of plastic. But the obligation is, is that at the end of the month, all those expenses that you have incurred, you will now pay back to the credit card company. You have an obligation now to follow up and to pay back that company that allowed you the ease of purchasing things when you didn't have the cash at hand. And so here that language of debt is really the language of obligation. It is talking about giving what is due unto another. Now maybe you're sitting here this evening and the language of obligation, the language of giving what is due doesn't sound very desirable. But if that's what you're thinking, then I would urge you to think uh, differently. 
that Newman Hall makes a good point when he says we should not want it any other way because any other way would be unworthy of God, but it would also be undesirable for ourselves. Because while it is a high calling to speak about an obligation towards God, it is actually underlining the significance of our calling, that we are called to give God glory. That is our calling in this world. And it is something that we should not want to shrink back from. Uh, It is uh, our great significance because we are made in the image of God. What is it that we are called or what is due unto God? What is our obligation unto God? Micah, the prophet Micah says it and summarizes it as follows. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's our obligation to God. He made you. He's your creator. You are to give him what is his due, to give him glory. How do we do that? By conforming our lives according to his righteous character, by delighting in what the Lord delights in, kindness and mercy, a faithfulness, and of living in communion with the Lord. That is what is due to God as our creator, as the one who has made us for fellowship with him. And so we are under obligation uh, to obedience to the Lord's will. But when Jesus speaks here of pardoning our debts, he is referring to the debt that is incurred by failing to give God what does belong to God. In other words, when we don't give God the obedience that is due to his name. That's apparent when you compare Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer with Luke's version. When you turn to Luke's version, in Luke's version, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And so here is this uh, stress on the fact that what is due unto God is something that we are... uh, something that we haven't followed through in. Uh, We are those who have not fulfilled our contractual obligations. And when that happens, when we think in the, the world about us, when someone does not give what is due, the other party then would take steps in order to be satisfied. If an employee does not get paid for their their services, if an employee does not get paid for the work that they did, then they will appeal, won't they? They will appeal to the labor board in order that they would get the satisfied payment for their work. If a credit card company or the bank doesn't get the payment that is due to them, they will take the steps necessary in order to get the assets that they expect and the ones that were promised to them. And so there are steps that are taken in order to reach satisfaction. All of that underscores the seriousness of sin because God will be glorified that God God is ensuring that his glory is upheld but we see the seriousness of sin not only in the uh, aim for satisfaction but we see the seriousness of sin because we we cannot 
pay that debt. That when we stop to think about what is it that is owed unto God to, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. If we do those things, then we are only doing what is required of us. But when we don't do those things, then we are only adding to our debt. If we were to think in the credit world, it would be like failing to pay your credit card bill. At the end of the month, you now have interest. Your debt is now getting bigger, and it can begin to snowball as a, as a result. You young people, when you start to make snowmen, you, you, you have a small mound of snow, but you begin to roll it, and what happens? That snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The Bible says that our debt is like that, that we have sinned against God, and for that, we have done what is the opposite of what is due unto the Lord, which is giving him glory. That's a serious thing. But then more than that, the Bible says that when we fail to honor God, it's like we are compounding that. And it's something that we can't fix ourselves. To be obedient, to strive to do what is right, is only doing what is expected of us. That's our obligation. And when we're not doing it, we're only adding to the problem. And so all of that is highlighting something of the seriousness of sin. But Jesus here is teaching this not simply to call attention to the seriousness of sin, but to call attention that God is a God who takes pity on those who cannot pay their debt and will forgive them for what they could never repay. Isn't that how God reveals himself? A God who is just and merciful. A God who will by no means clear the guilty. And yet a God who pardons sin. That Jesus is teaching that there is a debt as, uh, that is incurred when we do not give God the glory due to his name. A debt that is astronomical. In one of Jesus' parables, the parable we were reading there, 10,000 talents a debt that could never possibly be repaid is in that story forgiven by the king in order to highlight the magnitude of God's grace. And here we see that that debt being paid is something that is uh, brought about by the Lord himself. God is a God who forgives iniquity. But we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean? What does it mean for God to forgive sin. When you think in your own relationships with other people, if you say, I forgive you, we might think I'm no longer holding this against you. I'm, I'm, I'm releasing you of that problem so that it's no longer a strain going forward. We're thinking about what it's doing to another person. But what is actually happening when you release someone? What is actually happening when you forgive someone? The person who's forgiving is actually absorbing it. If it's a debt that is pardoned, where does the debt go? The debt is covered by the one who forgives. That the, what is owed now is swallowed up and is endured by the one who was wronged in the first place. And that's what the scriptures tell us God does. That, 
that God sent his son into this world, that Jesus came into this world to satisfy the justice of God. He gave his life as a, as a sacrifice for sin. The penalty of sin was satisfied in order that sinners could be forgiven of their sins. That Jesus endured the cost or the penalty of sin in order that others might be released of that debt. In order that that great amount that they could never repay would be taken away from them. And they would be released and they would be forgiven. That's what we were looking at in Colossians. It says in Colossians 1, in him is the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Colossians 2, it says, having been forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. Our record of debts is how the Bible describes us. We are a people who have a long track record, statement after statement after statement of our wrongdoings. And yet the gospel is, is that God has taken that record of debt and has canceled it, or we could say has absorbed it at the cross. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. Jesus pays the penalty. Jesus pays the debt in order that sinners might be freed. And so Jesus here is celebrating the fact not only that there is a debt that is to be acknowledged. As a creature, I am obligated to give God what is due unto him. Jesus is not just saying there is a debt that has incurred when I sin, when I don't walk humbly, when I don't love kindness, and when I don't do justice. Jesus is calling attention that the debt has been paid. There is forgiveness. And that's what Jesus came to do through his death on the cross. But Jesus here is actually teaching us to confess our sins to God. Notice what it says there at the beginning of verse 12. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. Piggybacking on what he just said in verse 11. Give us this day our bread. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts day by day. Jesus here is teaching his disciples that confession of wrongdoing is part of the Christian's life. That until Christ returns, until the consummation of all things, his disciples will not be marked by sinlessness. They will continue to fail. They will continue to wrestle with sin. They will continue to incur debt. And Jesus here is teaching his disciples to pray, confessing their sins, acknowledging they're indebted to God's grace. But Jesus here is uh, highlighting uh, uh, the the importance of confessing our sins to God. But we already read there in Colossians that the record of debt was canceled because it was nailed to the cross. That when Jesus died on the cross, that record of debt, past sins, present sins, future sins, are all covered. 
It would be like looking through your, your bills and seeing previous years that haven't been paid, your, your, your current statements that haven't been paid, but also knowing that the future statements have all been covered as well. The scriptures tell us that our sins, when we come to believe in the Lord Jesus, all our sins are pardoned. So then why is Jesus here teaching his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts, if their debts have been paid, if their debts would be paid through Christ's sacrifice on the, debt, uh, on the cross? While the debt of their sin has been paid, so their standing before God is secure, their experience, their enjoyment of God can still be disrupted by sin. And so Jesus is teaching us to pray these words so that we would rightly relate with God and with others. So there's the debt. There's a debt that is to be acknowledged to God, a debt that has been incurred because of our sin, a debt that has been paid ultimately at the cross. But this understanding of our indebtedness to God is now to shape the way that I relate to God and the way that I relate to others. And this is uh, uh, what Jesus is ultimately driving home. How do, we, how do we handle our record of failings? What are you doing when you see failings in your own life? What do you see when you're not giving God the glory due to his name with the way that you're living? What do you do when you realize that you have fallen short of God's standard? As we were singing there in Psalm 130, and as we were mentioning, the Lord does keep account of everything that we do. And those scriptures do teach that there is a day coming when the Lord will call us to an account. It says in the book of Revelation that the books will be opened and the dead will be judged by what was written in those books. So there is an accountability. We will give an account for our lives. But the good news is, is that there is forgiveness. And so the Apostle John can celebrate if we confess our sins. That God is faithful and just to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, God pardons. He cleanses. And he takes away our sins. You may be sitting here this evening thinking that confession is demeaning. That this is just one way uh, in which a person goes around with an inferiority complex. That people who confess their sins just go around wallowing in their own self-pity. But if that's what you're thinking, then you don't understand God. If you think that confession of sin is demeaning, it reflects a distorted view of who God is. That you're reflecting and relating to God simply as judge and not as Jesus is also teaching here as Heavenly Father. Because confession here is not done simply wallowing in a sense of failing, but it is one that is drawn out by a confidence of God's mercy. It's a willingness to come before God because we can face our shortcomings. If you can't face your failings in life, if you can't be honest about where you have failed, then you're still hiding from God. If you can't bring these things before God, then you don't trust God. 
But Jesus is teaching his disciples to trust God. The God that you have come to confess as Father in Jesus Christ. The God who is good and whose purposes are right. The God whose kingdom you want to see established. Whose will is to be trusted in all things. This God you are to come to with your sins. Not simply wallowing in in self-hatred. But aware of your shortcomings. And finding refuge in his mercy. And so here we're actually learning how it is that I am to handle my own sins. We're learning that we are to turn to God, knowing that he is gracious and merciful. So this language helps us as we think about our own sins. It helps us to face our sins. Confess your sins. We are being taught to turn to God, asking for mercy. Forgive my sins. Forgive my debts. Forgive my trespasses. But it also helps us to face other people's sins. What is key here in verse 12 is how Jesus connects one's relationship with God and one's relationship with others. If we seek forgiveness with God and yet we hold a grudge, a bitterness towards others, then we have lost sight of the magnitude of God's grace in Christ. Again and again, We turn in the New Testament and we see this exhortation to be forgiving. In Ephesians 4, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Seeing how great of a debt that has been forgiven by God, how can I not willingly take pity on my neighbor for the wrongs that they have done to me? Meanwhile, we can look at it the other way. If I am holding a grudge against someone, then when I turn to God confessing my own sins, it should aware me and awaken me to the fact of the hypocrisy that I want mercy myself, but I refuse it to others. And so Jesus here is showing the connection, and we see that when he comes down to verse 14. If you forgive uh, others their trespasses, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This doesn't mean that the law of society is abandoned. It doesn't mean that there's no repercussions for wrongs that are committed or that the law does not need to be upheld. But it does mean that on a personal level, there is a desire for the well-being of another that there is a willing to pardon the debt where it is incurred. Does that mean that we must always forgive? That again, this is raising uh, a much bigger uh, concept. But forgiveness involves reconciliation between parties and therefore should be preceded by repentance. Reconciliation ultimately brings together two sides. And the Bible tells us that reconciliation happens where there is repentance. That is the order. But if someone does not seek, someone does not confess, if someone does not desire to be reconciled, then we ought to still examine our heart and to have a disposition seeking to be made right with that individual, to extend forgiveness and to offer forgiveness 
uh, to that individual, that they might uh, ultimately be uh, uh, forgiven. So when someone says something harmful, uh, attacks our character, if they seek forgiveness, then we ought to extend that forgiveness, remembering what God has pardoned us of our sins. We see here, we see here how the Christian life is shaped. Forgiveness is not ultimately self-centered. I'm not forgiving just to make myself feel better. Forgiveness is not simply about being considerate of others, about being empathetic, although that's also advantageous. In the Christian life, forgiveness flows out from an understanding of God's grace. It's actually centered on a knowledge of God, which is why confession is not demeaning. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, made the point that confession is something vital and that when we do it, it actually increases our joy and our confidence. Why? Because it centers us on God. It makes our life bring even God into the equation when it comes to how to deal with those who have wronged me. It makes God's forgiveness all the more valuable to me when I cling to it in difficult situations myself. You stop and you think about when the people of God gather together week by week. We sing, we pray, we read. And churches down through the centuries have always incorporated an aspect of confession into their liturgy. That confession, again, is not simply to wallow in self-hatred or to look down on one another. That confession of sin is of vital importance. It allows us to be centered on the grace of God. It brings us to a position where we recognize, I need the mercy of God. And now I live in response to that mercy in the way that I treat one another. The Christian life is really centered on the grace of God. And when we are centered on God's pardon in Jesus, then it does produce confidence. It does produce joy because we're treasuring the Lord Jesus Christ. This petition assumes many things. It assumes that confession of wrongdoing will remain relevant throughout the life of the believer because they will continue to fail in many regards. It assumes that others will do us wrong as well, and therefore we will have opportunity where we are called on to forgive others. But Jesus here is teaching not only that it's important to forgive, Jesus is giving a key by seeing the connection with the way we treat others to our understanding of God and how he has treated us in Christ if we have come to trust in him. Instead of being bitter and resentful, we are able to delight in God's forgiveness in a practical way. And as John Calvin once made the comment, when we forgive others, 
it serves, as it were, to leave the impression or to leave a seal upon our own consciences of God's forgiveness. We see that God's forgiveness has taken hold of our life, that we value it and we celebrate it, and it shapes the way that we treat others. So as you think about the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us about the importance of confession. He's teaching us the importance of forgiveness, of where to find it, but also how to extend it. Can you forgive others? How? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about this petition, that you would equip us uh, for all that we stand in need of. We could face many situations, both small and big, where we are pressed uh, to pardon others. And we pray, Lord, for the grace, uh, for the ability to be able to look at the situation in light of the grand scheme of your purposes, to be able to remember uh, the mountain of sin, that uh, the record of sin that uh, we carry, and that if we are trusting in the Lord Jesus to know that cancellation of that debt, may we be people who are enabled by your spirit to act accordingly and to be able to show grace to others. Lord, we pray for any who have not yet known the forgiveness of sins. We pray that they would know not only the debt, but Lord, that they would know the deliverance through the work of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So go before us in his name. Amen.